You ready for your journey? <laughs> no, but seriously, um, life is like that sometimes. Life feels like that sometimes. And I don't know if, if you've ever experienced something like that. We physically went through it, but a lot of times spiritually, emotionally, um, mentally, we feel like that. We feel like we're drowning because of the pressures of life and, and the journey that we're on is not always easy. Um, and the reason we wanted to share that is because it leads perfectly into some of the things that we need to pack for our journey. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to start at verse 9, reading from the NLT. And I'm going I'm to read this for you. I know it's, it's kind of small up there, but um, it, it says, Paul is talking to the Roman church. He says, uh, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and, and keep on enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Let's pray today. Father, I thank you so much uh, that each of us are on a journey. I thank you uh, that you have put us here for a specific reason, to hear a word today. God, I pray that our hearts would be receptive to the word, that our ears would be able to hear and perceive what is happening today in the spirit world. God, I thank you, um, and I pray that you would just bless this message. Allow me to be the communicator that you want me to be, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, we are all on a journey, and my journey and my, some of the things that I've gone through have taught me to be fast, quick on my feet, and so I'm going to speak a little bit quicker than you have probably ever heard, and that's okay. I'm super enthusiastic about Jesus. I'm super enthusiastic about the Bible, and I'm super enthusiastic about the church, and you guys are looking at me like, why don't you slow down? I've had some coffee. It's okay. So... <laughs> We, we're all on this journey, right? And I actually brought my backpack that I'm going to be taking um, with me to Asia. Um, we're actually going up. Oh, that's going to fall. We're going uh, to uh, some mountainous regions that require us to actually pack in and go uh, for a month or so at a time and carry everything on our backs. So we're super excited about that. My wife and I are actually doing a, a trip or a journey in two weeks, less than two weeks. We're going to be doing a 60-mile trek uh, through the Sierras in the heat. In, on the Pacific Crest Trail, and she's, again, not too happy, but she comes along because she loves me, right? <laughs> and Pastor Scott, I don't know what it is. Why are you, what? Navy SEAL? I don't know what's, dude, okay, so, <laughs> so we're all on this journey, and, and, and scripturally speaking, um, whatever stage in life you find yourself today, you could be a believer for the last five minutes, or you could be a believer for the last 50 plus years, it doesn't matter, no matter where you are in life, walking with the Lord, you are still on a journey, and that journey is not over until we get to meet Jesus face to face one day. Now, Deuteronomy 5.33 says, stay on the path the Lord your God has commanded you to follow, then you will live long and prosperous lives in the land you are about to enter and occupy. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path, my journey. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. We are all on a journey. The Bible gives countless stories of people who are walking with the Lord, and we are no different from those stories. We are all walking with the Lord. Now, it is up to us to carry 
the correct items in our bag for this journey. And the sad fact is that many believers walking with the Lord today carry the incorrect baggage that causes them to lose direction, become burnt out, wear down, get frustrated, and lose sight of the ultimate goal in life, which is not the white picket fence, the big house, the great career, six-figure income, the amazing uh, trophy wife. All of those things are great, but it is not the ultimate goal in life. All of us on this is the, should be striving for that, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things are great, but Jesus is the ultimate end goal in life. If you believe that, say amen. amen. All right, so let's unpack the scripture and find out what we want to pack for our journey. The first thing that we need to pack for our journey if we want to be successful Christians and live the way that God wants us to live is love. And I know it's kind of cliche, but this is what Paul says. He says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now, this is one of the most difficult things for Christians, especially in America, to understand and to walk with love, true love. Now, it's easy to love those who are like us. It's easy to love our friends and our family sometimes. Amen? Right? Okay. But, but, but what God wants from us is to love one another. Our sinful world, our, our fallen state, uh, the, the, since the fall, it is it's become increasingly difficult to love one another because sin tells us to love myself, tells me to love my money, to love my pride, to love everything that's about me. We live in a self-centered world and all of that tells me to love this, but it is truly a difficult and godly thing to love one another. Jesus said this, he said, no greater love than this. Uh, where is it at? Boom. Greater, no greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Check this out. I had some missionary friends uh, in Turkey. It's a Muslim-majority country, and they had, they had the opportunity to meet a young lady in kind of the marketplace. And, and a couple weeks went by as they met with her regularly. They began to form a relationship. And they're Christian missionaries in a Muslim country, and they're not supposed to be there. And um, so they go, and um, they form this relationship, and this young lady who is a Muslim begins to, to kind of open up and share some of the things that she's struggling with. And she struggles with her identity as a Muslim woman. She, she's had some influence from the West just watching television and seeing that, that American women have a say. They have a voice. They're allowed to do things that she can't do that in her country. So she's questioning all this stuff. Um, she, she's also been taught that she should hate Christians, that, she was, that this is the right thing to do by my religion, that I should hate these people. And yet I'm talking to these people. And so she's super confused about everything in life. She has all these questions. She loves being a Muslim, but she has questions about it which that's a lot like us. We have questions about our faith sometimes, and that's okay to have questions. But check this out. So the missionaries, they go and they decide, we're gonna pray for this young woman, specifically by name, okay? So what they do after a couple weeks of meeting with her, they, they go back home and they go before the Lord and they begin to intercede and pray for this young woman. And how many of you know there's power in prayer? There's power in prayer. So they begin to pray for this young woman specifically by name. And as they pray, they said they, they felt and heard the voice of the Lord just begin to weep and say thank you. And they didn't know what that meant at first, but then they understood God was saying that this was the first time that that young woman's name had ever been mentioned specifically before the throne of God. Now, people have been praying for Turkey, the country. People have been praying for Muslims. But this is the first time in that young woman's history that anybody specifically took her name to Jesus in prayer. 
Now, that is a beautiful representation of how we as Christians should live our lives. What does that mean for us today? Don't just throw up a Facebook prayer. Anybody ever been guilty of this? Look, I'm, I'm more guilty than anybody. Hey, bro, pray for you, man. Right? And then you walk off. <laughs> you post on Facebook, hashtag praying for you. Right? And you're doing all these things and you say you're praying for somebody, but then you never do it. I'm guilty of that. And I know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because, okay. But we, we sometimes get caught in this, this mode of false love. And, and we say that we're going to love you. We say we're going to do something for you, but we never end up fully doing it. And so I believe that God wants us, th- this is what God wants us to hear. Love is, is not simply a phrase or something to put on a Hallmark card. True and godly love is placing someone who has different beliefs, different interests, different looks, different culture above yourself and giving preference to them over yourself. That is what God wants us to do. Love somebody that's different from you. Love somebody that looks and behaves different from you. How do we do this? You need to be intentional. Be intentional about about the way that you love somebody. Don't be afraid to step out and show compassion when it isn't warranted. Grace when it isn't deserved. And love people even if it isn't reciprocated. Because after all, isn't that what God did for us? He loved us even when we were sinners. That's what we need to do. There's the intention of going and loving somebody outside of your own circle and showing them the love of Jesus. The second thing that I want us to look at today is hard work. So we've packed love. The second thing I want us to pack is hard work. The Bible says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Now, a couple years ago, I started working out. I know you could tell, but um, <laughs> one day, one day I'll get there. But I, I learned a couple things as I went to the gym and I found out, and you know, eating right and all this stuff, I found out uh, some things about the human body. The human body, if a muscle is not worked regularly, it begins to develop what is called atrophy or loss in muscle mass. Muscle mass, if that is not corrected, eventually down the road can lead to paralysis and paralysis can eventually lead to death. So this is what I want us to understand. Spiritually, it's the same thing. If we don't work out, eventually that could become complacent and and have atrophy, and we lose that spiritual muscle that we've been working out, and then it becomes paralyzed. And I don't want us to be like that. Now, work, both physically and spiritually, is a process that leads to great reward. How many understand? How many of you guys have ever been to the gym? Just raise your hand by faith, right? You've been to the gym. Like, I want, I want to go to the gym. New Year's, hey, <laughs> and then no. Um, then life happened, right? You don't go to the gym. It, it, I've been there a million times. So, working out and eating right, doing those things in in the physical world, the reward, you see it, is your health. The physical world, as we go to work and work at our jobs, the reward is a paycheck. And a lot of times it's difficult for us to understand spiritual hard work. Spiritual hard work is very much the same. There is a reward, but I want to tell you, sometimes we just kind of miss it. So I'm going to share a little bit about my my the greatest reward I think any parent could ever have. And this is a story. My, I came home one day from high school, and I think I had just gotten in trouble. And um, like you said, my parents go here, and I, I had just gotten in trouble. What happened, it ha- that happened a lot in, in high school, and I, I had to repent. But um, I wasn't the greatest child. <laughs> but um, I came home one day, and I remember I was the only one home, so I thought, and I, I heard my mom's voice upstairs. And so what I did, I went upstairs quietly, and I, and I could tell that she was, she was crying. And I was like, what is going on up there? So I go up, 
and I kind of look inside my parents' room, and she had no idea I was there, and I see her kneeling down next to her bed in the middle of the day. She's just kneeling there and crying, and I watched, and she is specifically by name praying for each one of her children and my dad. She's just praying for us, weeping before the Lord, like, watch after them, God, reveal your plans to them, all of these things, right? And I just listened to her as she just went specifically for my, something. I wasn't walking with the Lord then, but I understood that somebody was praying for me. And there was hard work in the spirit happening. And the greatest reward that I believe any parent could ever see is your children serving the Lord. And today, my mother has three amazing gifts and three amazing rewards. The oldest is a member of this church. She's hardworking, raising the cutest little nephew. Mm, he's, <laughs> right? Love that kid. And she, she loves the Lord, and she's a, a part of this church. The second one is standing before you today. I would not be here if it wasn't for my mother praying me through. Amen. And I know that there are some people who wouldn't be here if you didn't have parents who disciplined you and prayed for you at the same time. Lay hands on you and lay hands on you, right? <laughs> and the third is out in the, the Dallas area raising twins and carrying little babies to her Bible study every single week as she serves the Lord. And so my mom sees the reward of what she did countless years ago praying for her children and she now can reap the reward, the benefit of her hard work. And I want us to be the church that works hard because I know that preaching is not easy. Teaching is not easy. Making disciples is not easy. Evangelizing is not easy. Praying for people is not easy. It is hard work, but I promise you there is an amazing reward when you see souls begin to come to Jesus and they understand that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of their life and they serve him the way that my parents serve the Lord. Amen? So hard work. Somebody say hard work. work. All right. So the third thing. Okay, this is is the one. This is the one. You know, sometimes, yeah, I get, I get excited. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, joyful spirit, you're joyful. Somebody say, look at somebody and just smile. Because that's hard sometimes. Look at, I want you to just look at, actually go, turn to somebody and smile with your teeth showing, right? Like, smile. I know it's hard sometimes. Uh, check this out. Paul says this, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Now, like I said, my wife and I have been on a journey and we've seen ups and downs. There are many, many things that we've encountered in our lives that could easily have strayed us away from the Lord. So many things that we could just stand up here and and spend all day talking about. There are things in life that cause us to not be so joyful. And I understand that. Sickness, loss of a job, there are breakups, there are arguments, there's disaster, there's death in the family, there's poor grades, there's terrible life choices that we make. These are all understandable moments to be upset. However, speaking from experience, I do not understand how somebody can be unhappy all the time and claim to be a believer in Jesus. My mind just doesn't comprehend that at all. I, and I, I apologize. If you've ever met somebody with a, not, and I'm not talking about like if they've you know, they have gone through something and now they're upset for a while. I'm talking about people that you've known for years. Have you ever met somebody that you've known for years that is just miserable? I want you to raise your hand. I want you, so we can all, we've all met those people. If you are those people, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Lord is watching you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so check this out. We understand that those moments happen. Luis Palau says this. 
He says, what happens to you is not as important as the decisions made by you. What happens to you is not as important as the decisions made by you. Now, if you've ever met one of those people who completely just seems to be miserable and doesn't have joy and doesn't understand that, you know, what, what you're walking with or whatever it is, one of two things I believe is happening. One, they've either never met Jesus and known the incredible pleasure of knowing that he has set them free, made them new, given them a new mind, made them a new creation and placed purpose and destiny on the inside of them, which should cause you to smile. Or two, they know Jesus, but they don't fully understand the concept of John 10, 10, where it says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come that they may have life and life abundantly. Another version would say that I have come to give life and life to the fullest. Now, I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know, I don't know your lives, but I know where I came from. I know some of the things that I had to go through as a young person. And some of the things that we deal with as young people are not easy. I remember in high school, I experienced some things and I saw some things that I just questioned a lot of things in my life. I saw violence. I saw a lot of different things growing up. And I went through a a, a period, quite a long period, where I was angry. I was frustrated. I was upset with God. I hated God. I hated my family. I hated my girlfriend, who's now my wife, praise God. And I hated her mom. And all of these things, I just, I went, we went through so much. And I was just, if you met me then, so mad, and so angry. I like to just, oh, I hated my life. And I was in that moment where I was so depressed and I was so filled with rage that I, I sat down and, I, and I, I wanted to take my own life. And I was at that moment, the lowest point of my life. And I clearly remember sitting there and just thinking, I want to make these people pay. And I remember thinking of all of the things and all the ways that I would make them miss me and all of this stuff that was going through my mind. And it was a complete self-pity party that I was throwing for myself. And I was going through all this stuff and I was really going to do this. And I was there and I was so angry and frustrated. And then God showed up. And sometimes when God shows up, he needs to smack you the right way. And I mean that I was there in that moment wanting to take my own life, and I was so full of greed and and just selfishness and pride. And I remember the Lord showing up and touching my heart and filling me with joy. I remember being transformed in a moment where I was going to lose everything, and then the very next moment was given everything. I remember being filled with joy. I remember being filled with happiness. All of the stuff that was in my life before just seemed to disappear. And I have no idea how, all I can say was Jesus showed up in my life. And from now on, I'm going to serve Jesus, I'm going to love Jesus, I'm going to worship Jesus, I'm going to talk about Jesus everywhere that I go, because my joy is not dependent upon my circumstance, my joy is dependent upon my Jesus. And my joy is only found in Jesus, and nobody can take my joy from me. So if you have encountered Jesus, I want to encourage you today to be joyful, understand that you have been given a new mind, that you've been given a new name, that you've been given a new life. You are a new creation in Jesus and nothing, and I say nothing, can take that away from you because you are filled with the very presence of God himself. I thank God that he saved me. I thank God that he saved me. Now, how can we be joyful? How? How practically can we be joyful when we have gone through these moments, when we, when we have Uh, gone through some of the the hurt, the trials, the tribulations of life, and it looks like we're drowning. How is it that we can be joyful? 
make the decision to not let temporary moments of junk steal a lifetime of joy. Don't let temporary moments of junk, yes, we go through junk. Nobody's saying that we don't. Don't let the temporary moments of junk steal a lifetime of joy. It's only found in Jesus. Number four, I'm going to fly through this real quick. Cooperation. When God's people are in need, help them out. Cooperation. Okay. We understand that the body of Christ is one body, many members. If my left hand doesn't cooperate with my right hand, I can't get anything done. We understand that. That's a biblical principle. The body of Christ cannot function, hear me, church, in a broken world with us arguing and having issues with each other. I am so sick and tired of hearing arguments in the church that have nothing to do with anything, and we are not building up the kingdom. We are not doing anything but simply complaining and arguing with each other. Jesus prayed this. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world might believe you sent me. There is enough division in the world today. Amen. We come, okay, we need to come together to get over our differences and realize that the world cannot come to know a unified God if all they see is a divided bride. We cannot be divided. I have a friend in ministry. She's a little older than me. Um, I'll just leave that right there. So, um, <laughs> so we're, we, we talk a lot about the, the, the social things going on in life, and we're very open and honest. And um, she says she's healthy in age. We'll just put it that way. And she always says to me, David, DJ, um, I know that I'm an older African-American woman. And I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, I know. And I also know that you are a younger white man. okay. And so the first time she ever said that to me, I was like, okay, but she continues to say it because people who have been through things in life, when they continue to say things, younger people, you need to listen. Listen to what the older generation is saying because they've been through it. They understand what they're talking about. Okay, just a little nugget. So she says those things. And then she says, I am neither dumb nor colorblind, but I choose to not entertain the things that should divide us. I choose not to entertain the things that should divide us. If you look around this room right now, every one of us is different. We all have our differences. And there's, we, we, we can't be blind to the fact that we are different. The fact is that the church needs to be the people who make a decision not to entertain the things that should divide us. How can we cooperate and unify as the body of Christ in 2017? Open up your home to your neighbors. Open it up. Host a small group. Share your life with people and see how God can work in the relationships that you form as you trust him. Look, let people see that you may not have it all together, but the church can come together. Amen? All right, and the last thing, humility. And this is something that uh, for years and years I had to struggle with. The Bible says this, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Merriam-Webster, the definition of humility is freedom from pride, or arrogance, freedom from pride or arrogance. Now, this is one of the greatest attributes of Jesus. If you uh, study theology, and, and this is one of the things that I still wrestle with in, in, my, in my theology, and I, I, I have to understand Jesus more, and this is the crazy uh, aspect of grace that doesn't make sense, and that's why it's called grace, because it's just ridiculous, okay? Philippians 2.5 says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is one of the greatest things that I love about Jesus. That word in Philippians where it says he emptied himself is the word ekenosin. Ekenosin means to empty, to abase, to neutralize, or falsify. Now think of Jesus falsifying himself to make of no effect, of no reputation, void, to divest oneself of rightful dignity by descending to an inferior condition. It is incredibly difficult to understand and juxtapose Philippians chapter 2 with Colossians chapter 1 because the same Jesus, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The same Jesus that created the universe is the same Jesus that humbled himself and emptied himself to become like a man in appearance and die even to death on a cross. Now, this last year, last year I had the opportunity to go to Israel, and as I went to Israel, uh, you know, it's amazing. If you've ever been there, if you ever have a chance to go to Israel, go to Israel. Um, but we went to the Sea of Galilee, and as we went to the Sea of Galilee, if you could put that up, thank you. Um, the Sea of Galilee is up north, and um, I don't know if you can see that, but it's, it's up north. It has a river flowing in or a river flowing out. And so you go to the Sea of Galilee, especially in the late afternoon, there is so much life in the Sea of Galilee. It's amazing. You go there and you hear birds, you hear mammals, you hear coyotes, you see people fishing. You, there's a, a fishing industry still to this day. The, the, uh, the city of Tiberias is there and there's fishing ports. There's all sorts of stuff and it is amazing. It is filled with absolute life and there is no doubt that there is so much life just teeming in the Sea of Galilee. Now, I also had a chance to go to the Dead Sea. What is the Dead Sea? Dead. Good. You guys are quick. Okay, so... Has the low, it has the, the Jordan River flowing in from the north, and it collects so much salt. The salt content is something like 30-plus percent. And people go there um, just to put the mud on them because it's all good and like healthy, I guess, for you. Um, I wouldn't do that, but that's cool. I don't like getting dirty. So um, they go there, and they float in the Dead Sea. If you see pictures of people floating, it's like they're walking on water. Right? It's cool. Um, so... They go there and they do all this stuff. But if you look and you stop and you stand, which I did, I stood on the, the, the bank of the Dead Sea, quiet. There is no life. There is nothing happening. There are no birds. Maybe some birds way up just flying over from Jordan to Israel. There is nothing happening. There's no bacteria in the water. There are no fish. There is nothing happening at the Dead Sea. Why? I'm going to explain why, physically why that happens. The, the Sea of Galilee is up north and it has the, uh, the Jordan River flowing in from the north near Capernaum. That comes in, creates the Sea of Galilee, and then it flows out of the south. That same river flowing from the Sea of Galilee goes down and it comes into the Dead Sea where there is no outlet. So the Sea of Galilee has an inlet it's being filled, and it has an outlet. It's pouring out. The Dead Sea has something coming in, but nothing coming out. And this is the principle that I want us to apply today, and the question that I want us to answer, which one are you? Are you the Sea of Galilee, teeming with life, that has so much coming into you, but at the same time, at the same rate, coming out of you, humbling yourself, emptying yourself, just as Jesus did, to empty yourself and give to your friends, your family, those around you to open up your life. I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about giving what you have inside of you. The way Jesus has changed and transformed your life, 
you give that to somebody else. Humble yourself. Or are you like the Dead Sea to where you receive, you come to church, you get all this stuff, you get these downloads from God, God is speaking, yeah, that's good. But you're closed off to the rest of the world and you feel like you're at the lowest point and you're there and people may come and visit you, but on the inside, there's nothing there. And I wanna encourage you today to be the Sea of Galilee because I believe that God has called us, the church, to be alive, to be thriving, to go, to go out into the community and tell people about Jesus, to go out into all the world and preach the good news of Jesus. It's not for us, the gospel is not for us to sit here and hoard what God has given us. The gospel is meant to come into us, transform us, give us life so that we can pour out just as the Jordan River comes out of the Sea of Galilee to all of those around us and we will then be filled with life, amen?